Well, all week I've had this uh, kind of prophetic notion of what to bring forth this Sunday as far as the sermon as we continue our series, and I kept getting the word surrender. I kept getting the word surrender. I felt like this was to be a gentle reminder this morning of God's grace. And I knew uh, some of the songs that will be sung uh, today in our worship set, but when I saw that line, when darkness veils his loving face, on, I will rest on his unchanging grace. That is by far my entire message in a nutshell right then and there. And I feel like we just need a gentle reminder of God's grace and the fuel that it is to operate in the kingdom of God. So I've been pouring over this a lot without power yesterday for nine hours. I had a whole lot of extra time to pour over it as well uh, without distraction of entertainment and football and all that other stuff. So I'm excited. Let's pray for the blessing of the preaching of the word and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for this great group of people here, our hearts that are so focused on you, and so want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. For all those who are joining us online and those who couldn't be here today, uh, may your presence be with us all. May you speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Uh, One of my favorite preachers, uh, Jensen Franklin, uh, he's a preacher out of Georgia. He wrote a book not too long ago called Acres of Diamonds. And it's a very famous story that many believe is a very true story and that um, was shared at a university. It's a story late in the 1800s of a Persian farmer uh, believed by the name of Ali Hafed. And he had this large farm where he grew orchids and he grew wheat and he grew crops and so forth. And he lived a you know, humble life, but a contented life. And he was okay. Well, he started getting wind of what was happening in the late 1800s with the, the diamond craze and where people were stumbling upon diamond mines and just a tiny little shiny rock could change your world forever, that riches would come with just one tiny little stone. And so this thought crept into his heart and for days and weeks and months, he could not get the idea of wealth and riches and I don't have to work anymore. And it bothered him to where he was losing sleep and finally He couldn't take it anymore, so he sold his farm, gathered as much money as he could. He left his family in the care of neighbors, and he began his journey to look for a diamond mine. And so he traveled from Palestine all the way around to even getting to Barcelona, Spain. And in his entire journey, he had spent all of his money. In his entire journey, he had done everything possible to look and find, and he found nothing. And so he stood there on the beach overlooking cliffs, and he couldn't get away from the temptation of taking his own life. And unfortunately, with the pressure of failure and, and just the feelings of regret and what have I done, and I'm, I'm worse off now than I've ever been, he took his own life that day. Now, it's an incredibly sad story, and unfortunately, the story gets even more sad because after he, he gave his life uh, or he, he ended his own life, It was later found out that the person who purchased the farm from him was out with this horse one day, and the horse trampled on on a stone. It cracked open, and inside, this farmer saw a little rock that looked like it contained the rainbow in the sky inside of a little pebble. He had no clue what it was, and he puts it on his mantle, and just it was pretty, and so he wanted to display it. And one day, a friend comes over, looks at it, and exclaims, that's a diamond, He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, that is the diamond that everybody's talking about. He's like, well, there's hundreds of those things out there. And so they went out and they looked throughout the fields and there were diamonds everywhere. In fact, they were standing on the most historic diamond mine in history, the famous diamond mine of Golkaida. And so this poor farmer 
had everything in his heart that my joy is elsewhere. My peace is elsewhere. Everything that I want in life is elsewhere. And he was standing on the treasure that his heart delighted in all this time. And I'm going to come back to the story in just a second here. But today, we are continuing the series Mountain Movers. And God put it in my heart for, the, for this whole month to really explore his kingdom, not just to define God's kingdom, but to show how you and I can be partners in his kingdom and expand his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And today, I want to focus mainly on grace and not grace necessarily in the sense of our salvation, which will be part of that, but grace as far as the empowerment and equipment we have for the kingdom of God. Now, my definition of, of grace, and this is just the, the Rudy International version of what God's definition of grace is, is everything that Jesus purchased for us on a cross. That's my definition of grace. Everything that Jesus died for to give to us is his grace, and that is forgiveness, healing, deliverance, prosperity, peace, joy, uh, power in the Holy Spirit. What Jesus took, the punishment we deserved on the cross, he died and rose from the grave and gave us power and authority and blessing from God. To me, that is his grace. But a more textbook term of grace is unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. His unmerited favor that allows us to do all we can do in him. So because of his grace, his unmerited favor, we, we have been forgiven of sin so we can live righteously. He has called our healer so we don't have to walk in fear of sickness. He has called our comforter so we can walk in joy and in peace because of the grace of God. And the, the main thing I want to go after today is that God's grace is the fuel that we need to operate in his kingdom. And we need a much better understanding of grace because grace is more than just mercy. And here's the difference. Uh, my son just started um, high school this past week down in Waxahachie. And, uh, you know, I'm like, eh, it's a 20-minute drive on the freeway. More like a two-hour drive round trip with traffic and all these schools trying to start at the same time. So my schedule got changed a little bit. I got woken up to, you know, a, a different way that my week is going to look. But I don't like going the Interstate 20 down 35 route because I, I value my life. <laughs> So what I do is I take a pleasant run all the way to 35, get past all the traffic, and then shoot straight down. It's a much more pleasant uh, route. But on pleasant run, there's one school there, one school zone, and the cops there are hungry to give out tickets. Oh, I see about three or four people each time I pass by that school, about three or four people getting pulled over. Those cops are on it. And of course, I drive the speed limit. I'm very safe, so I haven't gotten a ticket. Um, but can you imagine if it's Monday morning, 8 a.m., for some of us, we're still in our jammies, okay? And you get pulled over. You see those bright, bright neon blue and red lights flashing. You get pulled over. You're thinking, oh, no, $300 is probably how much this is going to cost. Oh, I should have paid more attention. I should have had more coffee. What am I thinking? But the police officer walks over to your window, and he says, you know, clearly I can see your hair is a mess. You're in your jammies. You're having a bad day. I'm just going to let you slide. You just get a warning today. You see, that's mercy. That's where you did not get what you deserve because of your bad behavior. But grace, grace is when that same officer looks at you and says, well, because you're having a bad day, here's a couple $20 bills. Why don't you go get yourself something nice from Starbucks and treat yourself to lunch on, on my behalf. You'd be safe out there. See, that's grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve because of your failures and because of your bad behavior. But grace is something that equips you in order to, to go beyond that and to be able to 
operate in what you need to operate. It's equipment. It's a tool. It's God's love being manifested in a specific way so that you can carry out his will. And now this poor Persian farmer, he was convinced that this wealth was elsewhere, that all that he would need to be alive and well in life was elsewhere if I could just find these little diamonds. And for many of us, we've been given the wealth, the blessing of heaven, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, all of God's love. The Father loves us with everything. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. But for some reason, we can easily just be distracted by the news and distracted by social media and distracted by our own worries, maybe our own pride, maybe our own shortcomings and failures. And we actually find ourselves in a place where though we have been given all things in God, we still feel like we have to search somewhere else to find the joy and the peace that we need in life. The devil is a liar. He's also defeated and he has no more power. So what he does is distract us and do everything possible to lead us away from the heart of God. But praise God for Jesus' grace that allows us the sources, the the resources, the, the joy, the things that we need in God to go beyond that distraction because his grace equips us. And the warning that we have with grace is that we have to rely on God's grace and not trust in ourselves. Not, not be prideful, not think it's all about my works, it's all about my effort. How many times do you find yourself in a tough spot in life and think, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do to figure this out? And we go to work using our own resources rather than relying on God. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says that salvation is by grace through faith, not through works, so that no one can boast. So not only do we have God's love and his resources, we have supernatural help from the Holy Spirit. You have the creator of the universe wanting to bless you, wanting to speak to you, wanting to guide you, wanting to teach you, and how many times we look to ourselves. And so my my thought here today is that in order to walk in greater faith in the kingdom of God, in order to have greater faith, we don't need greater works. We need greater surrender. It's not about more effort. It's about deeper surrender and remembering what God has given to us and remembering how much he loves us. And when Jesus was baptized, he was 30 years old, hadn't done a single thing in the kingdom of God other than being a great son to the Father. He hadn't healed somebody, raised somebody from the dead, taught in a synagogue. He hadn't done any of those things. And he was baptized. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And this booming voice from the Father out of heaven says, this is my beloved son. In him, I am well pleased. Do you notice that the father said, I am pleased with him before he could even accomplish anything. So it is the favor, the grace of God that fuels us to go work for God, not the other way around. In other words, another way of saying this is the title of today's sermon, that we work from love, not for love. That it's because of God's grace, it's because of his love for us, that we have the motivation and the joy to go out serving others and blessing God by carrying out his will and not the other way around. We're not doing this Christian thing to get God's favor. God is not a salt shaker. We don't just go to him and fast and pray and do whatever we want so we can get what we want from him. And then once everything's fine, put him back on the shelf and act like it's all up to us again. That's not how he works. We work from his love, and because he loves us, we're able to do all these wonderful things. And I want to share about this love in in Scripture, Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can open them or turn them on, however your Bible looks. But we're going to go to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and to about verse 8. 
And there's a few things I want to point out here, uh, but mainly what Jesus has done for us so that we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and expand God's kingdom. Verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have attained the introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand when we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proving character and proving character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And it's amazing that that we can stand upon his grace. And even though the world is going to throw its ugliness at us and all these trials and tribulations and so forth, we still have a hope and we have the love of God being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In verse six, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so there's, there's, a, there's a couple things that, that happen in here. The first is that we have peace with God. God's wrath is no more. It's been satisfied in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have freedom from our sins. We are completely loved by God. We have no excuses. Now, when you think about Jesus and after his baptism and he, he initiated his ministry, what were the qualifications that Jesus had in order to do what he did on earth. And remember, he tells us that we can do the same things he did and even greater. Those qualifications were, number one, he had no sin. Second qualification, number two, is that he had the Holy Spirit in power. What do you and I have today as new covenant Christians? We have no sin to separate us from the Father, and we have the same power that rose Christ from the grave living in our hearts. We have no excuse. We have all that we have from God to be able to carry out everything that he's called us to do. And it's a shame when we can't remember what he's given to us. Think about it. Jesus died for your sins before you were even born. So this isn't Bible. This is just logic. There are so many people going to hell with their sins already forgiven, but they haven't accepted salvation. And so it's not a complete work. He's already done it for us. And it's such a shame when we can't recognize that and step into our calling and step into what he's calling us to do. You know, it's very simple. God said in Matthew chapter 28, in the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I commanded. The Great Commission. But in Matthew 22, someone comes up to Jesus and says, okay, there's a whole lot of laws out there. I don't know if you know it. It's like 614 Jewish laws on top of the Ten Commandments and so forth. So this guy's like, there's a whole lot of them out there. But if I can get just a few right, you know, and be pretty good on God's side, what's like the top? What's the best? And Jesus says in, in the, the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, to love others in the same way and love others the way you love yourself. I'm like, all right, well, these are kind of the, the heartbeat of God, the great commission and the great commandment. And a few years ago, it kind of dawned on me, what if the church of Jesus Christ went out to accomplish the great commission with the great commandment? What if it was love and grace that became our fuel to carry out the great commission that Jesus has given to us? So there's a bit of reminders I want to share with us this morning, some encouragement. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, if you don't recognize God's grace, you put energy in the wrong place. If you don't recognize God's grace, you put energy in the wrong place. 
I was scrolling through social media the other night, and I saw this really cute story. It was a, a young husband and wife with two little kids, and they were doing a, a bathroom remodel. And if anybody's ever done a remodel in their home, you know it's definite first world problems, but man, is it an inconvenience because it, it, it throws off your schedule. It throws off what you're normally accustomed to. You're not showering in the same place you used to. Your kitchen may be a mess, and so you're eating out more than normal. There's a lot of inconveniences that can happen just on a day-to-day basis. Well, for this family, they had most of their bathroom installed, but not the tub. So when you have little kids, a bathtub is a real important thing to have. Bath time is a real serious deal in the home, and they didn't have one. And the husband was getting more and more upset because of all the delays, and it should have been done by now, and we're having to be very you know, creative with how we do this with our kids and so forth. But one day, he comes home. He hears splashing upstairs. So this is a different noise that I'm used to coming home. He goes up there, and what his wife had done was taken a little four-foot kiddie pool, blown it up, and stuck it right underneath the faucet of the bath, where the bathtub should be. And the kids have their bathtub. And of course, you know, if you're a guy, you're thinking, why didn't I think about that? A $15 little blow-up pool, and we could have solved all of our problems. And this is what he said. This is the revelation he got. He says, my complaining completely displaced the opportunity for creativity. So because his brain space was so full of complaining, he didn't have the capacity to be creative. And his wife, who was not focusing on the negativity, was able to think of, hey, this is easy. We can come up with something creative here. And it became a memory. Now the kids felt like they were in a swimming pool during bath time. And bath time became a whole lot easier to deal with than if they had a regular tub. So when we don't recognize what God has given to us, we spend our energy all in the wrong place. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He, he, he doesn't want you to focus on the truth of what God's given you. He doesn't want you to focus on all you are in God. He wants you to focus on everything that's going wrong. He wants you to get discouraged, to get beat down, to be full of doubt, and to walk away from God, ultimately. He can't destroy you, but he can distract you. And so we have to be cautious, and there's a lot of great things we can do. I mean, even just in the power of our daily declarations. declarations. I mean, you think about it. The scriptures say, let the weak say, I am strong. So you're feeling weak, you say, thank you, Jesus, I'm strong in you. You wake up and you're feeling tired, and I'm so guilty of this. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Instead of saying, thank you for your supernatural energy. Thank you, God, that you are are strengthening and quickening my body here today. Are you taking time to declare the opposite of the spirit of the day? However you feel, whatever you're going through, are you taking the time to use the power of declaration? Also asking tough questions. Ask tough questions. If you're dealing with something, something doesn't make sense, it's not making sense to you, ask tough questions. I feel really bad for medical doctors today and nurses because everybody's an expert. Everybody has Google. Everybody shows up to a doctor's appointment and it's like, well, I've already done the research, doctor, and uh, I believe that you can prescribe me this and that and the other. And it's like, doctor's like, oh, well, I only went to school for 14 years. And, you know, like, what do I know? I, I mean, I can see the frustration because they're so researched. We are in a researching culture where we want to find out every little detail about every aspect of our lives. Why not in our spirit? Why not in our faith? Why not in our walk with God? Why do we we pray when not receive an answer and just leave it at that and walk away discouraged and saying, okay, well, I didn't get an answer, but I can press in and I can dig deep and I can be before God until the time and the season he does speak to me. We have to recognize God's grace or we're going to put our energy in the wrong place. 
we're going to spend and waste our energy on things we don't need to be wasting them on. The second thing is that we, know, we need to know when to engage and when to receive. We need to know when to engage and when to receive. And this could happen multiple times throughout your week. But in Mark 6, Jesus tells his disciples, get away for a little while and get some rest. You know, Jesus had three years to save the world, and yet he took time to pause and to teach his disciples the, the habit, the practice, the discipline of rest. It's not all about work. And even Jesus in Luke 5, 16, he says that Jesus often, often got away to the wilderness to pray, to be with God. Now, if anybody had a very long to-do list, that was Jesus. And yet he made specific time to rest and to sleep. The Savior of the world would even sleep on the time he had on earth. But he did so, and he modeled it to us. And we live in this society of overworking. We celebrate overworking. The entrepreneurial lifestyle and and this, uh, I have to accomplish, and I got to be the best go-getter. Now, if you're an energetic person and you're a go-getter and you got passion like nobody's business, amen, run with that. Let God use you to the fullest. But life isn't all about working, and this hustle culture can be uh, detrimental to us. And I'm speaking personally for myself because I'm a person that it's very hard for me to sit still. (laughs) Even when we had no power in the house for nine hours yesterday, we were hanging out in the church office with some good air conditioning and our phones plugged in and and just enjoying it. I probably left that office every 30 minutes to go home just to see if the power's back on. And my wife's like, oh, you're going to go check again, you who can't sit still? I can't sit still. But it's this thing when I feel out of control or when fear creeps into my heart, I got to go to work. Because if I go to work, if I start doing stuff, I can control things. And life isn't all about work. We, we need to recognize when to engage and when to receive, when to slow down and to rest, or when to operate in our authority. This is a very critical mature Christian discipline to have is to know in the seasons of life when we need to engage and when we need to rest and receive. Because God is going to have seasons where he doesn't want you doing a whole lot of stuff. He wants you to heal. He wants you to receive. He wants you to learn and grow and and expand your capacity in your heart. And there's other times he's going to say, why are you walking around this mountain still? Go. (laughs) Why are you wasting time? Go. And we need to be sensitive to that. And it's there's some things that we can be, we can take notice of that as, as in the sense of I've been praying and praying and praying and I have no clarity. Maybe it's your time to rest. Well, I've been praying or, or like a song that's been stuck in my heart for days and days and days and days. What is God saying? What do I need to do? So we need to go in a heart that is rested in God. If we work, we work from love, not for love. If we work, we're going off of the fuel of God's grace. We're going off of his love. We are working with with grace and love and power. We're not doing so in our own efforts. And finally, number three, we are to rely on God's resources. Rely on God's resources. Imagine that uh, your, your father was extremely wealthy. Extremely. Bill Gates wealthy. And he said, hey, I got a little debit card for you. Anything that you need, you just use this card. A lot of stress would go away. But God's grace is very much like a spiritual bank account that when we need something, we can call on him. As we heard from Psalm 34, that he's one who, who's drawn near to us in our, in our times of trouble. He's one that delights in the prosperity of his servant. God not just wants to bless you for the sake of blessing, God wants to give you what your heart needs so that you can carry out his will. God's grace is like a bank account. We can pull supernaturally from his resources. 
I had a friend years ago, and she had a sister who was very sick in the hospital. And this sister, she kind of believed in God, but didn't want anybody praying healing. She didn't want to get her hopes up and so forth. And she got worse and worse and worse. And eventually she died at only the age of 54. And I remember that was on a Saturday. The next day was uh, church on Sunday. And I came up to this friend who had just lost her sister. And I said, hey, I'm so sorry for your loss. If there's anything that you guys need, let us know. And she had a smile on her face. I said, so how are you doing? And she's like, I'm doing great. I'm like, well, that's awesome. She's like, no, like, really great. Like, I shouldn't be this great. And apparently what happened is that God had spoken to her heart and said, I'm going to give you a supernatural joy that you should not be feeling right now. When you should be heartbroken, saddened, grieving, supernaturally, I'm going to give you an emotion that goes beyond this world to carry you through. And that is available to each and every one of us, his sons and daughters, that whatever is going on in our world, we can reach out and say, supernaturally, Holy Spirit, please come. Holy Spirit, bless. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, give. Holy Spirit, speak. Whatever it takes that our hearts can be turned around and into that. You ever had those moments in life where you're like, where did that come from? You ever been in a bad mood and all of a sudden it just shifted out of nowhere? You ever had a time when you've been feeling kind of a little disheartened and, and then out of nowhere, this, this, this fresh wind, this fresh fire of joy came out of nowhere? I love those grace encounters because grace empowers. It gives us what we need in the moment to not be stuck within introspectively looking to ourselves or, or mulling over what the enemy is saying, but allows us to move forward in what God wants to do. And I don't know which, um, which uh, preacher said this, but they said that we got to be careful because when... We are resting in the spirit. God is moving. He's working. But when we're working in the performance sense of the word, when we're working, God's resting. He says, oh, if you got it, then you take it from here and I'll sit back until you need me. And we got we to remember to rely on God's resources. So recognize his grace so that we're not wasting energy in the wrong place. Know when to engage and when to receive. Know that, that we are called to this great commission, but at the same time, God thoroughly enjoys when we can rest and be at peace in him and connect heart to heart with him. And then also his resources. It's not us. It's what he can do because only God can do what only God can do. And I'll close with this little story. Uh, a good family friend of ours, which we're still considered family uh, to this day. I was so blessed as a teenager when I was going through youth group and starting to work out at church, I had a group of, of young men that we did everything together. We were at the church seven times a week. We worked together at the church. We went to the movies together, every restaurant together. And about 80% of us are in full-time ministry to this day. It was an amazing grace that God gave to me in that time. Well, one of those uh, kids, uh, his dad was actually my supervisor at the church when I worked on the maintenance team. And so he oversaw what I did and, and helped me out, and his testimony was amazing. In San Diego, uh, after the war, they brought in the opiates and the drugs and so forth, and San Diego, specifically the city I grew up in, Oceanside, California, became the methamphetamine capital of the world. Drug infested. There was actually documentaries on it. And this friend, my, my supervisor, uh, he came from that world. In fact, he was the number one methamphetamine uh, producer and seller in San Diego County at one point. This guy had thousands of dollars of cash coming in and out. He had trained thugs that were his security and entourage. I mean, it was incredible. And he got locked up several times. But on the last time he got locked up, he got locked up for a while. 
And at this point, he was locked up enough to where he started feeling regret. What am I doing to my family? What, what am I doing with my life? And he had a cellmate. Uh, there was a wall in between them, but there was a cellmate, and they began a relationship and just started talking. And this guy was actually a believer. You know, I don't know why he was in prison, but he was a believer. And uh, maybe he had been there a long time as well, but he began preaching the gospel to my friend over and over and over, telling him about Jesus, preaching the word to him. And eventually got to the point where my friend said, this is what I need in my life, opened up his heart, received Christ, and probably the 35 family members who are also involved in drugs and uh, children who are suffering because of what their parents were doing, all gave their lives to the Lord. Credible testimony. Well, my friend at this point in the prison was a trustee, meaning he had access to money and cigarettes and other types of currency in the prison systems. And so he goes, I want to bless my friend next door. And so he got a couple extra packs of cigarettes and was going to use that as a blessing to him just to say thank you. He goes and his, his friend is no longer in that cell. He's like, what's going on? So he goes to the guard and he says, hey, where did so-and-so go? You know, I, I have this for him. Where is he at? And the guard's like, what are you talking about? The guy next to me, my cellmate, where is he? It's like, there hasn't been anybody next to you for two weeks. So don't know if this was a, a, an angel masquerading as a, as a human. We, we don't know uh, what took place there. But to this day, there's no record of who was in that cell next to him. Supernatural. God's grace can go above and beyond what is logical. It, it, it offends the logical. And God's grace, his love is so available for you, not just for your little needs to help you make it through the day. God's grace is there that has completely transformed our lives so that we can carry out the kingdom of God for the years that he has given us on this planet. So I want to close today with just a, an impartation prayer uh, before we're dismissed today. So Father, we thank you for the things that are happening. I just, I've, I've sensed all service long that our hearts are a little heavy for what we are seeing happening in our world. And it starts on, on, a, on an individual basis, that our hearts may be heavy, may be discouraged this morning. It also goes on to seeing what's happening in our own country, what's happening around the world, the terrorism, a global pandemic, all these things, Father, that just mull around in our minds. But we know that we are called sons and daughters of God Almighty. You have given us authority from heaven, you have filled us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ that has fully empowered us and equipped us for every single issue in life. Though there will be trials and tribulations in the world, we take heart because you have overcome the world. So we're not going to sit back in desperation. We won't sit, sit back in despair because we have a hope that goes beyond the logical, a hope that goes beyond reason, a hope that goes beyond what we can see in the natural because it's supernaturally from an infinite God. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I impart upon my friends. In the same way that the attention of the Israelites who were dying of snake bites looked up, and when they brought their attention up, they found healing. We declare the same thing today for us that our attention would rise from social media, lift up from the news, lift up from the doubts and fears, lift up from the insecurities and the anxieties, and only focus on you. May this week, God, be a week of sweet surrender. Let this be a week where we give ourselves the permission to slow down, to rest, to receive. God, I pray that this day would mark the beginning, and this week, of an encounter we've never had before. 
God, not just something new and amazing for entertainment, but let this week bring about a testimony, a word, or an encounter that some of us have been praying for years. And I pray, Lord, that your love and your grace would minister to us this week in an extra sensitive and in a special way. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for all that you've done for us and accomplished for us so that we could walk in your freedom, your truth, your love, and your joy. As we go about this week, be with us, lead us, speak to us, stir us up, make us happy, fill us with excitement, bring motivation and energy to us so that we can go out and thoroughly enjoy what you're doing in and through us. Thank you for Southgate. Thank you for my friends here. Go before us now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Love you all. Have a wonderful week.